Hello, I'm Jonathan Rose, a furniture designer and maker based in rural Aberdeenshire. I've been working in this area for over 10 years now, and during that time I've met and worked with many skilled and creative people, all of them making a living from working with wood. That wonderful, diverse and natural material so familiar to us all. I've come to realise that each designer maker's way of making a living requires two elements. Firstly, the time-efficient repeat work, predictable in its outcome and certain in its reward. And secondly, the creative pieces which prioritise a maker's self-expression and are original, but which are not such a good use of time and require a client's trust that you make the right piece for them. In this podcast, designer makers share some of their thoughts with you. Sometimes the podcast takes the form of a conversation between two or three people, At other times, it's more like an interview where someone reveals themselves through a question and answer format. It's all about sharing and everyone finding a successful way forward. I call the podcast Creating an Identity in Wood because that is what we are doing. Hello, I'm Jonathan Rose, a furniture designer and maker based in rural Aberdeenshire. I've been working in this area for over 10 years now, and during that time I've met and worked with many skilled and creative people, all of them making a living from working with wood. That wonderful, diverse and natural material so familiar to us all. I've come to realise that each designer maker's way of making a living requires two elements. Firstly, the time-efficient repeat work, predictable in its outcome and certain in its reward. And secondly, the creative pieces which prioritise a maker's self-expression and are original, but which are not such a good use of time and require a client's trust that you make the right piece for them. In this podcast, designer makers share some of their thoughts with you. Sometimes the podcast takes the form of a conversation between two or three people. At other times, it's more like an interview where someone reveals themselves through a question and answer format. It's all about sharing and everyone finding a successful way forward. I call the podcast An Identity in Wood. I'm here today with Tom Addy. Tom Addy runs Tor Workshop and he's in the edge of the Cairngorms about a couple of miles up a track from the nearest roadhead outside of Ballata. I'm really curious about how somebody who is able to run a business in this remote location that looks so so ideal, but I don't think it's like that. So, Tom, my first impression of where you live is a hideout in the mountains where perhaps the old man of Lochagar once lived. Not that I'm casting any aspersions about your age, <laughs> I hasten to add. Could you describe to li- for listeners your workplace? And what brought you here? Sure. So we um, we live in a an old farmhouse on on Loch on on River on the River Mick on the way up to Loch Mick, um, on the the side of the river without the public road. We're about a mile and a half from the end of the public road on our side, um, and we have a farmhouse where we live. And my workshop and storerooms are in the the old steading and cow buyer of the of the farm. And what brought you here? 
So we were tenants of, of um, the Queen here on Balmoral Estate, uh, our next door neighbour is Prince Charles. We were previously renting from Prince Charles and um, the factor actually that this house came about, the, the previous tenant had the place for 30 years, um, he gave notice that he was moving out and the factor called us knowing that we'd probably want a slightly bigger house, bigger sheds and um, because we were known to the estate they were quite comfortable because it's a sensitive location as they put it. Yeah. And you're sensitive to that sensitivity. Well apparently they're happy enough with what we, yeah. with what we do here. Well so. I've, I've seen your workshop briefly, um, it looks compact, it looks um, like it's got everything it needs for pieces which are probably no more than two metres long. Um, that looks like uh, a constraint yeah. there. Well, last last week we finished a three and a half metre dining table, which was very challenging. Not the piece itself wasn't challenging to make, it was quite straightforward, but just to work around the space with anything else. Well, that was pretty impressive to get a three and a half metre place uh, table in a, what to my eye, looked like a five metre workshop. That's um, about right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what is it that creates the narrative for your work? I think... Um, a lot of it, there's a couple of things really. I think a lot of it is a is from a sense of place. We've always lived rurally in Scotland, um, and I've got a partly because of where I live, but partly because of personal interest. I've got a, a real sort of fondness for, you know, historical pieces, but also vernacular. So countryside, farmhouse. Um, Croft House, Black House, that kind of stuff. So it's furniture of the land. Um, which was basically always built with very little frivolity, but sometimes with a little maker's mark, just as a tiny little nod to to design. The sort of designs that work because they work, you know, they look right because they work, and they, you know. Sounds sounds like needs must for the maker of that piece I when so. they were living, and in exactly. rural area, black house um, and rural. Uh, you get inventive, but you don't have much time to get inventive with, so you do what materials exactly. you Exactly, you, you use whatever sticks you've got lying around and you do very little to them. Um, yeah. A straight cut is much easier than a yeah. twirly bit of carving, so yeah. that'll be the way it goes. Well, sitting here in your kitchen, there is a great expression of that. Um, there's um, pieces here which have that feel of, they've come from the land, um, so tell me, describe um, the bench and the table here and the things which make them you. So, yeah, I mean, again, so the, the, another sort of thing is that, you know, we, I make a kitchen table for ourselves, but I don't have an enormous amount of time to make it because I'm too busy trying to make something to make money, frankly. So the table becomes a really quite a simple thing. And it's just about using nice wood. The table's, the table's oak, Scottish oak. Um, it's three boards slabbed up and, and jointed together um, on a very simple full-leg frame. Um, and it's nice just because it's solid and heavy and it's got a bit of character in the wood. There's some splits that I've stitched up, which has sort of become a bit of a signature of ours. But it really is born out of the fact that I don't want to throw anything out and a piece of wood with a stitch, uh, with a split doesn't... You know. And what you do, you preserve the hygiene of the kitchen table by filling the, the cracks yeah. where you've stitched them. What, what have you filled them with? So that's, it's a product that Osmo make. It's a wood putty. I don't really like um, epoxy. I don't really like plastic mm -hmm. very much. Mm -hmm. And so this stuff is, I mean, it's a putty. It's not 
beautiful you wouldn't want to eat it but it's i think it's nicer nicer than um, than epoxy and certainly nicer to sand oh and that there certainly has that character and it's bringing that little bit of the outside world into your living space mm. and it, i sense that when these kind of pieces of furniture were made back in the day there was none of these materials around and possibly no stitching it was actually there's a there's there's less, there's um, more waste at that time. Yeah. But you had what you had, so you used it. Yeah, possibly. And I think then, you know, it brings on to the other main aspect of my furniture, which is the material. So we predominantly use Scottish hardwoods. So we're using designs that would be made with a, you know, a board of larch or a board of Douglas fir or something that just happened to be handy. But we're using oak or elm, something really highly figured. So the the sort of shape of the design is is traditional vernacular but we're using what i deem quite flashy scottish hardwood to right. to make these things so that's that again is the slight difference so where do you where is your reservoir of materials where do you go hunting for these pieces of wood so next to the cow buyer there's a cart shed and in the cart shed there's a load of sticks um we basically get that from either the estate here on Balmoral or Invercold nearby there's a few tree surgeons that we use. And I also do use, um, you know, sawmills and, and wood shops elsewhere in Scotland, but basically it's all Scottish. There'll be from time to time, if, we, if we're really stuck and need to get somewhere quickly, we'll buy some European oak to make something mm -hmm. quickly. But, but by and large, and everything that we sell through our showroom is Scottish oak, Scottish elm, mm -hmm. um, birch. We're lucky enough to get a little bit of Scottish walnut in, which we treat like it's gold. Um, a few, few bits like that, but all Scottish hardwood. Yes, oh fantastic, it's a really good place. And do you, um, do you condition it, do you dry it um, in any special way? Um, or is it just left out into the elements undercover? Predominantly that, yeah. I mean, so we've, we you know, take the whole oak tree and we plank it up and leave it for two years or so. And then depending on what it's going to end up being, it'll either go into a kiln for a little while or, or not. And I think the, the designs also, uh, by their very nature, sort of allow for a bit of move, uh, allow for a bit of movement in the material. And we don't mind when things go a little bit wonky because, it, because we're not starting with perfection. So over time, things yeah, can change yeah. a little bit and that's okay. And customers actually quite like that. You know, we've got tables in the showroom that are far from flat. They were flat when they went in, but they're far from flat now. And people actually like it, so it's um, not not everyone will, but some people do, and those are the people we're, we're catering for. So I've been into your gallery, Tom. I really like what you're offering there, um, and I noticed the isolation chair. It's it's a, a bold piece. Tell me about the isolation chair and where the idea came from. So it was um, it was made uh, for the Scottish Furniture Makers Association show. Adjust Adapt, which was, it was, I think the brief really was the furniture maker's response to the pandemic. So the idea was that we would all think about how the pandemic has affected us or, or furniture and, you know, the way that furniture works for the end user. Um, true to, true to our style, I think I look backwards rather than forwards and, and look back considerably further than, than just the pandemic. And so what I, like to sort of highlight or, or chose to focus on was this the the sort of notion of isolation to my mind during the pandemic there were quite a lot of 
different facets to the term isolation. There was, of course, the the fact that people that had the the virus had to isolate from their family and things like this, and that was such a big a big problem and a big part to to play for everyone trying to get through it. Um, there was also you know, isolation from friends and family. You couldn't mix, you couldn't, you couldn't sort of um, go about your life as normal. And for us here, quite rurally and quite far away from even the nearest village, the isolation of, of just being here as a family um, was quite a strong feeling. And actually for me, it was a very positive feeling. I mean, it was a year or so of, of time spent with my family at home, in a beautiful place with a workshop full of wood. So it was, it was actually quite good. I was able to concentrate on, on furniture making without any distraction. Um, and also just really to sort of, I guess, concentrate on thinking about what was important in design and what was actually what was important in life, really, which is family and things, <laughs> isn't it? But, you know, just, it just sort of had a, had a... It was time to sit and ponder. And so the chair actually is... The chair is a remake of a very old croft house, black house design, whereby the, the chair has a hood, almost like a sort of cocoon, um, around the sitter, the design of which was was really to to keep drafts out or the smoke from the fire out of one's eyes. It's somewhere to sort of curry up with a blanket, very similar to an Orkney chair. They, they, I think the Orkney makers have done a great marketing job and everyone knows what an Orkney chair is but these things the the boarded um, chairs I think were were probably at one time quite commonplace for exactly the same reasons and then my idea really was that this chair was was a source of um, you know sort of shelter if you like not from the effects of the pandemic of course that's not gonna not gonna work but but from possibly bad news you know, somewhere just to sit and curry in, stick a blanket around you, um, listen to some music or whatever. Just a place to think about and reflect on the world. You know? And I, I think that um, is, is a thought which carries through even today. And it is uh, an opportunity here, particularly without the streets going by, without the traffic, without all of that, that that's a very natural place to be. Mm. And... You see the elements, you see the wind, you see the rain, the snow, and you can actually look out on the mountains. You can think, yeah. oh, there's that shelter there. But yes, you do need the family around you or the companionship around you to justify that. Mm-hmm. So, in the introduction, I talked about the Ash Project. Yeah. Could you tell listeners a little bit about this project and what we can expect? Sure. So, basically, in the... In the wake of Adjust Adapt, we had a as a as a group, the exhibitors and the organisers had a bit of a, a Zoom meeting and a chat about what we could do next. And in terms of a show, it was a great success. The fact that it was a virtual show got it out to a wider audience, I think, than than we might expect from a physical show. Um, and I thought that was something that was really probably because we're so rural here and so out on a limb. Uh, it was quite nice to be involved in something central without actually having to spend any time there or effort really to do it. You know, we just sent sent some furniture down to Leith. It was photographed really well. And then it was, you know, put out to a, an incredibly wide audience on the on the internet. So, so it was great to be part of that. And then, but I thought the, what, the only thing that was missing actually was that the sort of tactile 
you know, the ability to touch and stroke a piece of, or open a door or whatever on a cabinet. I mean, that's is kind of integral to, to furniture is the, the touch and feel. So I sort of thought, well, what can we do to combine those two? I think it's great to have that, that sort of digital element, but also to, to bring it to places, maybe places a bit more similar to this actually, to, to, you know, rural Aberdeenshire than, um, you know, than the central belt, as seems to be the case with art shows and, and I think furniture making shows in the past. So in order to combine the two, I think it's nice to have a digital element, but it's nice to then bring something on the road and take it to the people. So I thought, well, why don't we do a touring exhibition? Go to, I don't know, half a dozen places throughout Scotland. Um, some of the more obvious places, perhaps somewhere in the centre of Edinburgh or whatever, but also somewhere quite rural, somewhere on the islands perhaps or whatever. So that was the sort of genesis. And then I thought, well, but it needs a theme, of course. It's no good just saying we're going to tour a bunch of chairs and tables around. So we need a theme. And, and it struck me that this is not a new idea. It's been done before. But to take a single tree and make as many different things, as many different designs with that single tree um, to really showcase the, the variety of design, the variety of techniques and furniture makers arsenal and, and, and you know, but just hang it around that one tree. And then we looked a little bit more and had a little think about what could this tree be? Where could the tree be from? And, and the idea was brought about that um, we should really focus on tree health and the sort of plight of the ash dieback. Um, basically, we've got a little window now of a huge opportunity if we grasp it well, whereby we've got an awful lot of tonnage of really, really good furniture makers, wood that's going to get rotten and it's going to get burnt if we don't use it. Yes, because ash ash doesn't withstand the elements very well when it's been cut. No, exactly. Um, and it's, I mean, it, at the moment, you know, you, you look around the hedgerows around Scotland and um, and elsewhere, you know, the, all ash trees have it or are going to get it. And when they've got it... Well, I've noticed it, it, it one, I, one and I live second. 40 miles away from you. Mm. And um, just seeing the tips of the ash trees that are familiar to me, they're not, they're just hedgerow trees grown out hedgerow trees and you start to you start to notice mm. the the missing leaves on the tip tips of the branches yeah and the, what i see is the commitment to the people who are responsible for those trees don't need to do anything about it until the bloody thing falls down mm. you know and actually it's more than that it's saying the timber is won't be any good yeah uh, unless it's cut and harvested and looked after properly. Exactly. And the, but the problem is there's no market. So there's, you know, what, what we as furniture makers, and this is the real challenge actually, is to to try and get people, it's not just Ash that makes us the challenges, we, we need to try and encourage consumers to buy things to last forever, to spend a bit more on something that's been made by hand, crafted, and then keep that for generations that's money far better spent, I think, than going to, you know, Swedish or other department stores and buying flat pack. And, you know, the, the this whole thing, this whole sort of shift of attitude, and it's a difficult thing to talk about at the moment with the cost of living, but unfortunately, you know, we, we do have to do this. But then the, the ash thing puts a, puts a sharp focus on it because it's a finite resource, essentially, and it will be wasted unless we do something you know, holistically as consumers That's and producers. It's a huge problem, but, but we can do a little bit. And so the, the idea behind um, Ash Rise, as we're calling the project, is to, to highlight good design, good Scottish design and making, um, and, and uh, you know, out of, out of this ash, and then tour it about to try and 
cover as many, you know, get it in front of as many people as possible to highlight the tree health as well as our own craft design and all the rest of it. That's a, a great start to an issue which is going to be with us for another decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and finding a way that we can um, realistically employ people or earn a living in order that um, this material is being used appropriately and being used well. Uh, and it takes that innovative thinking, you know, the, the technical colleges talk to um, Fife, Fife College about this, talk to um, Creative Scotland. There's, there's lots of people who are sort of hovering around the edges, but there's no central yeah. grip. There are, there are a few people that are interested and we need to get them talking to each other. And there are quite a lot of people that should be interested, but just are a little bit, you know, disconnected or, or naive about it at the moment. And, and the idea behind the show is to just bring all that together in a positive way, you know, and to, to sort of... This feels, this feels like it's a very big challenge, but a very exciting opportunity to mm. get the right people together, not just the makers, because... You know, personally, I can get really excited about making something of ash. Mm. And I love ash. Um, and it, it's not been used uh, in the past in the way, certainly the Scottish ash, with the variety of colour. Yeah. Um, it takes a bit of thinking, but actually it can be done. Mm. You know, why not? It can be done. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic, Tom. Um, busy life. You have a busy life living in a remote location. How do you manage all your making as well as being a partner of tall construction? Uh, well, I don't. I mean, it's basically two full-time jobs and juggling it is very difficult, but but very rewarding too. So on the, yeah. the contracting side, it's one company, basically. We, we do furniture and buildings as, as one. Um, on the building side, we're very lucky that we, we only really build very nice buildings. Um, almost all of them have been designed through my brother's architectural practice. Um, and, you know, they, they, they're very lucky that they can sort of pick and choose their clients. And so by, by default, almost we do too. Um, and so we built some really nice things um, with, a, with a heavy emphasis on material. And um, what we basically say now, we, we like to think of every building we make as being made with the same degree of care and attention that you would put to building a chair. So instead of it being, you know, only the finishings that you take real care of, you actually take great, great care all the way through, start to finish with a craftsman's eye. Um, it means you don't end up with a snagging list, which is quite nice because it's done right first time. But but you also end up building really quite large works of art. I mean, we've, we've been quite lucky in that um, sort of over the past five or six years our, our client list is incredibly small but the projects that we've been involved in have all won massive prizes massive accolades um the world's best hotel we built in in one year we built them um, building of the year Aberdeenshire building of the year scottish building of the year i think in the moment we're up for british building of the year various various accolades i mean wow. most of these go for the design not the actual build but the, you know the, well, the building is nothing if it's not built so. no no that's right and, and massive team effort you know so and always when you move into a new house you wonder the people who put this up did they put the did they put the coal bridges did they remove all the coal bridges did they manage to put that little bit of extra insulation in did they draft proof the doors did they and so on mm. and coming to 
um, tour construction, you sort of feel that that yeah, would be yeah, that definitely, would be, definitely. Be I mean, the, the main thing for us is quality. It has to be built right. If it's not built right, it'll come and bite you on the ass later. Yes. So you've got to get it right, really. Well, well, Tom, this is really good that you've you've afforded me fifteen minutes of your valuable making time, uh, and you've taken a little bit of time out of the workshop. And um, really good, really good to uh, speak to you. And thank you very much. Thank you very much.